0: We are here to worship the holy name of God. As the church, we've been talking about who we are and how we relate. This morning, I want us to talk about what we're supposed to do. Two weeks ago, we talked about who we are. We are folks who believe in Jesus and who walk with Jesus and who tell others about Jesus and love like Jesus. That's who we are. Last week we talked about how we relate to each other and and we discovered as the body of Christ that as the human body relates to each other and every single part is is intricately involved and essential to the function of the body as a whole. That is the way it is with each of us. We are to function as the body. But what are we to do? How, How are we to express God's love in this world? What is our purpose? He's he's made it very plain, very clear. The end of Matthew's Gospel is called the Great Commission. The sermon is entitled, The Church's Purpose. Matthew 28, 16-20 is the passage, and you're familiar with it. It's the last words that Jesus gives His disciples, His last commission, the last instruction. He says, Now the eleven disciples, remember Judas has already removed himself, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the close of the age. Jesus tells us what our purpose is. It's to go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. Very clear, very plain, uncomplicated. But sometimes we just need to be reminded of it and step back and take measure of how successful we are to doing that. Let's bow together. Father, as we come together to worship, we praise you. And we thank you, and we love you, and we know you love us because you have made that clear in so many ways. Help us today to look at our love for you based on how obedient we are to your commands, Most, foremost among them being going, making disciples, baptizing, and teaching. There's no way we can sidestep that. So help us be found obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start off with a story that in many ways reflects the position of the church today. By the seashore of a small fishing village, there once set a small life saving station. One of the villagers decided to build after several lives were lost in sea. There were rough currents and and jagged rocks jutting out into the opening of the port and so numerous ships when they were coming in were damaged and wrecked just off coast. Scared travelers would often jump off the boat into the dark water trying to swim to shore to save their lives and many of them were lost as a result. As the years passed though, the life-saving station became very adept at performing its job. Every time a ship wrecked, Someone from the life-saving station would have been scanning the horizon and spot the boat and they would launch the life-saving boat and row out to rescue. And over the years, many lives were saved because of this one lone life-saving station and the services that they supplied to the harbor. The Grateful decided to show how much they appreciated the efforts of those that manned the life-saving station, and so they began donating funds and and work and building materials, and they rebuilt that little life-saving station into an amazing, beautiful structure. And to make the station easier for the ships to see that were coming in, they even built a lighthouse adjacent to it. Someone else raised funds to buy better boats, and build showers and buildings inside for those who were dirty from being rescued, a place where they could clean up in the new building. Lastly, the call went out and more volunteers came to the life-saving station and many folks came and donated their time and energy and resources. And as the village began to grow, more ships began to venture into the harbor and bigger ships came in to trade and and sell their wares. The increased traffic meant more ships damaged by the waves and the rocks in the harbor. And so the people in the village decided to do something about it. And they went out and uh, removed some of the rocks. They deepened the harbor. They made it possible for more boats to come in. And they erected more life-saving stations up and down the coast. As the harbor improved, there were fewer shipwrecks. And so the folks in the life-saving stations started entertaining themselves by conducting rowing competitions and swimming competitions when the sea was calm and still. They held membership drives to see which life-saving station could garner the most volunteers. And before long, a lot of activities developed around the life-saving station, the life of the station. In time, more ships came in. The number of shipwrecks decreased as a result of the work that had been done And a lot of the life-saving stations then decided, because they had no more work to do in the harbor, they decided to become social clubs. A safe port, plenty of places to celebrate, the community continued to grow. And almost immediately, it wasn't long before the people forgot about life-saving and instead turned their attention to celebrating all night long. They even stopped turning on the light in the lighthouse because the harbor was now safe. Years later, The life-saving station all but forgot about rescuing the lost at sea. One day though, unexpectedly, a large storm attacked the coast in the middle of a busy shipping season. It lasted four long days, causing many ships to be damaged in the harbor. And thinking the life-saving stations were still operational and manned, travelers were jumping into the cold water trying to escape the fate of the sinking ship, expecting someone from the life-saving station to row out and save them. Many lives were lost because there was no help coming. And they were lost not because the life-saving stations were closed or even because they jumped into the sea. The lives were lost because those who had volunteered to be life-savers decided instead to spend their time doing something else. Obviously, a parable of the church. So many churches nowadays get together and just enjoy being together so much that they've long since forgotten their reason for being, the purpose for which God called them together and assembled them. And that's why we need to be constantly reminded that the church is here for a reason. We have a mission. We have a purpose. And nowhere is this more clearly spelled out than in our text. This morning, Jesus' final word to the church and His word to the church today. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the close of the age. Friends, I want you to realize here this morning that we are not called just to be something. We are called to do something. God has a mission for us, a purpose. That's why he saved us and brought us here. If his work was done with us when he saved us, then he would just take us to heaven the moment we professed our faith. But he's left us here for a reason. He's left us here for a purpose. And that's what I want us to look at this morning, to be reminded of because we need to be reminded of it. We need to keep it always before us, always in front of us. Whatever we do needs to be measured by how successful we are in obeying this commission. What are we to do? First of all, we are to make disciples, plain and simple. And Jesus tells us how, going as you go, IN OTHER WORDS, YOU DON'T HAVE TO DO ANYTHING SPECIAL OR GO ANYWHERE SPECIAL. JUST AS YOU GO ABOUT YOUR DAILY LIFE GOING, MAKE DISCIPLES, BAPTIZING, AND TEACHING THEM. I WANT YOU TO SEE HERE IN THE GREEK THAT MAKE DISCIPLES IS THE ONLY VERB. GOING, BAPTIZING, TEACHING ARE ALL PARTICIPLES. AND THEY SUPPORT THE MAIN VERB, WHICH IS MAKE DISCIPLES. Make disciples is the command, it is an imperative. It's not optional, it's not a suggestion. It's what we're instructed to do, make disciples. A disciple, what is a disciple? Well, a disciple is more than just a convert. Conversion is where a person begins the discipleship process, but that's not where it ends. A disciple is someone who learns about Jesus and models his life living like Jesus. So it begins with conversion, but the disciple-making process includes learning, teaching about Jesus, and and helping folks live like Jesus and follow His life and model their lives after the teacher. That's what a disciple is. It's a student. When you start first grade, it doesn't end there. That's where you begin. But discipleship is a lifelong learning process, disciple-making process, as Jesus conforms our lives to be like His. I wish I could say that this is what every church is doing. I wish I could say that this is what our church is doing all the time. But I'm afraid it's not the case. Sometimes we lose sight of our purpose. Churches do it all the time. There are churches that are motivated by other factors. Some churches are motivated and you you can look at churches and kind of figure it out. Some churches are motivated by tradition and they are interested in maintaining status quo. Some churches are motivated by finances, and they are interested in the bottom line. How can we increase our income and decrease our expenditures? Some churches are interested in programs, maintaining an organization, putting up the, the facade of busyness. Some churches are interested in buildings and they're motivated by protecting and maintaining beautiful facilities. Some churches are motivated by events, thinking that the more activities they can put on a calendar, the busier they can look and the more successful they will be in the eyes of the world. Some churches are motivated by personalities, and you'll notice that one person's name or one person's picture will be attached to the church, and they'll focus on that leader or or that group of leaders as the most important part of their mission. But Jesus says, Our mission is to make disciples. And how you do that is you go. And as you go, you talk about Jesus and you baptize in conversion and then you teach them about Jesus and how to obey his commands and how to live like he would want us to live. So, what are we to do? We're to make disciples. How are we to do it? JESUS SAYS, TEACH THEM TO OBSERVE ALL THAT I HAVE COMMANDED YOU. SO WHAT DO YOU HAVE TO DO? WELL, FIRST OF ALL, YOU'VE GOT TO FIGURE OUT EVERYTHING THAT JESUS COMMANDED US TO DO. YOU'VE GOT TO TEACH IT, AND NOT JUST TEACH IT, BUT MODEL FOR FOLLOWERS HOW TO OBEY IT. TEACHING THEM TO OBSERVE. OBSERVE MEANS OBEY ALL THAT I HAVE COMMANDED YOU. You observe all that Jesus commanded when you know what He commanded, when you learn His instructions, and when you live them out in your lives. That's the mark of a mature believer, I think, is someone who obeys Jesus. That mark of obedience is a sign of spiritual maturity. And a lot of us don't want to know what Jesus commands because we think that lets us off the hook. But down deep, we know basically. commandments of Jesus. And to the extent that we obey them, we are following Him, being faithful to Him. And we are indicating our line of discipleship. Make disciples by baptizing and teaching what? Teaching them to observe, to obey everything I command. And to the extent that we teach and obey and teach others to obey, will be an indication of our success in making disciples. Let me draw your attention to the front of your worship bulletin this morning. We've had our purpose statement for several years, but as a member of this church you ought to know what it is. Someone says, what is the purpose of First Baptist Tifton? Could you tell them? Years ago a committee came together and we decided that First Baptist Church is the church built on love. That's been our, our uh, monogram, our, our hallmark for years, because we 404 Love Avenue, it just worked perfectly, where the church built on love. And we took those four letters in love, L-O-V-E, and came up with a purpose statement that embodied the purpose of this church. We are to love God and glorify Him through worship. O stands for obey God through prayer, Bible study, and discipleship. V is venture out into all the world as His witnesses. E is equip believers for ministry and encourage Christian fellowship. When you look at that purpose statement, you'll see that it contains the five major purposes of a church that that have been defined for churches years and years ago. Those five, worship, love God and glorify Him through worship. Ministry, equip believers for ministry. Evangelism, venture into all the world as His witnesses. Let me tell you, when we got to the letter V, we had some trouble. But several people came to the meeting that same night and said, in prayer and in thinking and reflection, God gave me the word venture for the letter V. Venture into all the world as His witnesses. That's evangelism. Fellowship, equip believers for ministry and encourage Christian fellowship. And finally, discipleship, obey God through prayer, Bible study, and discipleship. So those are the purposes worship, ministry, evangelism, fellowship, discipleship, and to the extent that our church does those five things as expressed in this purpose statement, we'll be the church, we'll be doing what God needs us to do and wants us to do according to His command to make disciples. We have been assembled by God here to do something, not just be something, not just relate to each other through fellowship as the body, but do something. Make disciples loving, obeying, venturing, equipping. When we do that, we'll be the body that God created us to be. That's how we do it. Well, why do we do it? We do it for Him, we do it for them, and we do it for us. First of all, we do it for Him. We make disciples because God loves us, and we love Him. Elizabeth Cole was a missionary from Montana. She was born in 1811, so it was in the 19th century that she lived her life in mission service in Africa. She requested to go to Africa and worked in southern Africa for many years, but when she heard the British were opening opening a, a leper colony in Swaziland, she requested permission of the board to move from where she was to work in the leper colony in Swaziland. And she would spend her days cleaning wounds of lepers and sharing the love of God through doing so. After years of being there, someone from the States came and visited her and and saw what she was doing and what she was about and how gruesome, I guess, wrapping limbs and feet that had been eaten away by leprosy and caring for those wounds, how, how gruesome that could be. And they said, I wouldn't do that for a million dollars. And she said, I wouldn't do it for a million dollars either, but I would do it for God. That's the difference. We do it because God loves us, because we love Him. I love the verse in 2 Corinthians 5.14. It says, the love of Christ constrains us, or controls us, because we are convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died. We have died with Him, and if we believe that, if we are convinced of that, as Paul is, then it changes everything. It constrains us and controls us to do things we would never do for a million dollars but we do because the love of God controls us and guides us to do so. And as an expression of our love for Him, we go and and clean wounds and and clean houses and feed hungry and clothe the naked, whatever it takes, we want to do because the love of Christ constrains us. We do it for Him. Secondly, we do it for them because people need to know the love of God. They need to be discipled in Him. It's not just, are you, do you believe in Jesus? Yes, okay, sign on the bottom line, see you later. It's, do you believe in Jesus? Yes, well let me show you how to live for Him from now on, how to, how to disciple and make that person into a follower of Jesus. Harold Rutledge was a U.S. Air Force pilot in Vietnam, shot down Vietnam, became a prisoner of war, Many years in a concentration camp in, by the North Vietnamese. And after his experience, he wrote a book entitled In the Presence of Mine Enemies. He said, In that prison camp, often spending time in solitary confinement, the smell and sights and sound of death were all around him. Death was pungent in the air. And so, with that environment around him, he became vitally interested in that part that would never die, and that which is eternal. And he wanted to to talk about God, he wanted to talk about Scripture, he wanted to talk about Jesus with others, but being in solitary confinement so much of the time there was no one to share with, and he realized at that point in his life that he had neglected the most important thing in life, the spiritual dimension. And he said, it took prison to show me how empty life is without God. It took prison to show me how empty life is without God. And friends, that's the way it is out there in the world. There are thousands of empty lives in Tift County, 40,000 people in Tift County. And recent statistics show that any given Sunday, only about 8,000 are in any church. That leaves 32,000. Uh, what's that? 80% unchurched, empty without God. And we have an instruction, a command to go and make disciples, not just in Tift County, but in Georgia and in America and around the world. Because life is empty without Him. And if you've experienced that fullness, that feeling that the Holy Spirit gives you, and you want to share that with others, how can you not do so knowing the emptiness that surrounds us? We do it for Him, we do it for them, but finally we do it for us, because that's why we were created, that's why Jesus died for us. As I said, if, if His purpose for us was just to save us, then bam, He could escort us to heaven the moment we professed our faith in Him, but He has left us here, for a reason. And and we need to fulfill that reason. We need to fulfill that purpose for which we remain here on earth, and that is to make disciples of other people. Let me ask you a, a penetrating question. When you come to the end of your life and you look back over it, what will you derive the greatest satisfaction from? When you look back over your life, what will you need to conclude? that your life has been a success. I hope it's not how many things you have or how much money you have or what you've accumulated. Being a, a faithful husband or wife and raising a godly family, that's something that you can take some, some measure of satisfaction in. But even more important than that, as I think we will... Have to answer for how well we fulfill the purpose for which God created us, how well we did what He redeemed us to do, and how well we fulfill the purpose for our life here on earth. We'll stand before Him one day, and He undoubtedly will ask us, Why should I let you into heaven? And we'll say, because Jesus is my Lord and Savior. He died for me on the cross, and His blood has washed away my sins and forgiven me, and I have invited Him into my life to be my Lord and Savior. And He'll say, I understand the part about the Savior. Now, how has He been your Lord? How have you served Him as Lord and Master? And that's when we'll have to give an account How many folks did we tell about Jesus? How many folks did we make disciples? And we can't say, please don't say, that's the preacher's job. I'm off the hook here. Because he doesn't say, go therefore, and if you're a preacher, make disciples of all nations. It's all people. Make disciples. Go. Baptize. Teach. Teach. I was at the associational meeting Thursday night at Calvary Baptist Church. It's an annual meeting we have, and on the back of the book of reports it had uh, the statement from all the churches of their records and numbers and accounts, how many are enrolled in Sunday school, how many are enrolled in discipleship training, how many baptisms, how many additions, how much money was received, how much money was distributed to the cooperative program, that kind of thing. And uh, several guys were preaching, but honestly, I wasn't listening to what they were saying very much because I was looking at the number of baptisms our church had this past year. Only 17 folks baptized into First Baptist Tifton. There should have been four times that number. If every one of us were out making disciples of the Lord Jesus, Why weren't there more? And I was convicted. I was convicted. Because if we're going to be the church of Jesus Christ, it's going to involve evangelism and worship and ministry and fellowship and discipleship. And if evangelism is the area where we need to focus for a while, we do faith on Tuesday nights. We go out and share and we visit and we evangelize, but there's only about a dozen of us that go out. Where are the rest? Are we going and telling and baptizing and teaching? If not, why not? When God has clearly commanded us to do so, what excuse can we offer? for not being obedient, because he says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. He's commanded us. And if we aren't doing what he commands, how can we teach anybody else to do that? I believe a great commitment to the great commandment, which is love God and love neighbor, and the great commission, which is go, make disciples baptizing and teaching. I think a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will result in a great church. A great church. And I hope First Baptist Tifton will be that church. We can't do it by ourselves. How can we be equal to the task? Jesus knew that. And that's why He closed this passage by saying, and lo, I am with you always. I am with you always. How long? Into the ages, to the close of the age. You're not going to be by yourself. You don't have to rely on your own gifts and abilities and strengths and resources. You'll fail. But Jesus is going to be with us as we go and make disciples and baptize and teach. And if we let him work through us, Then we'll be obedient. And then he will say, Well done, good and faithful church. God put us here to do something, not just be something, not just fit together as a body, to do something, to make disciples, going, baptizing, teaching. Let's go. Shall we bow? Father, we have excused ourselves from many obligations, commitments, and commands that you have given us. We've rationalized away and said, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism, or the preacher, or the staff, they need to be doing that. And I just need to live a, a good Christian life and people will see you in that, and that's enough. <laughs> But that's not what you say here, is it? It says that we are to go, and as we go, in the process of going, make disciples, make disciples, not just converts, but people who believe in you and then want to follow you and learn about you, and having learned to be obedient to you. That's where the water really hits the wheel, being obedient to the commands, And if we're going to disciple anyone to be obedient to commands, then um, we would do well to obey them ourselves first. And so we want to obey you. Father, we recommit ourselves here this morning to making disciples, evangelizing, teaching, obeying, and following. We can't do it by ourselves. I thank you that we don't have to because you're going to be with us every step of the way as we go, even to the close of the age. With that assurance, nothing is impossible because you're doing it through us and we can rest in that assurance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.